Right. Do you think we should do like a dress rehearsal for the podcast or do we just just go with it like we do every week? Just smash it out. I think just smash it out. Running with Jake, the podcast. On this episode... I don't want to see runners burnt up by July or August because I've been in that sweet shop and tried every single sweet, getting tired from it now, had enough of sweets anyway. And what you want them to do is to be able to <laughs> peak later in the year. Running with Jake, the podcast, Because every runner needs the occasional plod. And here's your host, Jake Lowe. Welcome to the show. This is Running with Jake, the podcast, where we aim to entertain a little bit of education. We definitely want to inspire you. We're well up for that. It's your weekly dose of running motivation. We're back. We're here. I'm back from Winchester. Had a little trip to Winnie Winchester. Winnie Winchester. Yeah. What's going on there? Mm. What happened? Because you're moving there, aren't you? I hope that we're moving there. So we went last week, myself and my girlfriend Martina, to view some properties, obviously to check out some running routes, let's be honest. But we did go to view some properties as well. Did we see any properties? No, we did not because there were none available. And the moment we get back home to Bristol... Right move pings me. Lots of different messages saying, look at all these lovely properties available to view. So I've got to go back there this week. I've been tasked with that uh, particular responsibility. Martina, a vet, she's busy working and hands up cows and things like that. So I'm going over to Winchester again <laughs> to hopefully view some properties. But man, do you know, I think this, I think the world is looking for property in Winchester at the moment. They go like that. I mean, as soon as they come up, I, I arrange a viewing and then I get a call... Like, within an hour from the letting agent, going, oh, I'm ever so sorry, Mr. Lowe, but the uh, the property... Uh, and I, I just finished their sentence. It's gone, hasn't it? It's just gone. It's, it's gone, yeah. I think yeah. I'm at the point where I'm considering popping to Decathlon and getting one of those pop-up tents. You know where you just kind of give it one of those arm <laughs> gestures? <laughs> you just fling it around a bit, and then you just go, poof, and there's your tent. And then I can go and live on the South Downs. I'd have access to loads of great running then. It'd be perfect. Yeah, you mentioned there, and, I, and you kind of mentioned it in passing, but I know it's something that you are seriously looking into and sorting, and that's running routes around Winchester, because you're moving to a new place. You know, you've already got your established routes for your different sessions that you do all around where you are at the moment. Um, how, how far through that process are you? Do you, know, do you know where you're going? Do you know running routes and stuff like that? I don't know. You know, I'm a non-running guy, so this will be the last thing I think about. I'd be uh, like, here right, we right, where's the nearest pub? <laughs> Is there a post office nearby? Yeah, sold. We found the pub, we found the pub. Have you? That's that's fine, sold, mate. You asked me about the running thing, and, and I love the fact that you said, how far are you down that process? It is a process. This is very important uh, part of my life, as runners will know. It's important that you make time for your running, which is exactly what we've got to do when we're spinning plates. But I'm, I've always said that it's important to be quite creative with your training, and not only to keep you interested, because sometimes just going out there and doing standard run, same loop, same pace, you know, all that stuff in perhaps adverse weather conditions, not always so inspiring. But I think it really helps to find the right environment and the right route for various sessions that you might be doing. So I'll give you an example. So I live in a little village in Yatton, just out of Bristol, lived here for best part three years now so as soon as i moved here i started to look right if i'm doing a hill reps session and i need a hill that is a certain gradient so kind of steepness and i want it to provide me with 30 seconds worth of hard effort so it needs to be long enough where i can run up it up that hill for 30 seconds but then i also need some hills that are perhaps 90 seconds and perhaps two minutes long does that make sense because i know that Mm. i'm going to be doing those sessions at some point as part of my training for you know races and events and stuff so you start to explore the area and you go and sort of test them and then i'll need routes where if i'm doing an interval session where you might do kind of the classic eight times three minutes at a hard effort with pat with perhaps 60 to 90 seconds recovery, something like that. 
I need a place where it's safe. I'm not going to be crossing a junction, mm. you know, when it comes to uh, the, the, it, during that hard repetition or you know the, the bollards where they prevent bikes from going whizzing past if you're on a, uh, a, a bike a cycle path. So you've got to really kind of look at well, what, what works here. And obviously Winchester, totally new to me. So we went exploring and things like, for people that follow me on Strava, you'll know that I do a lot of grass running. Mm. And I'm a big believer in this. I said, I've said this to you before, Pete, just to reduce the impact you know if you're running a lot across the week and you're just pounding the tarmac all the time and i know some experts will say that actually impact is not necessarily a bad thing and i i think there's a lot of truth in that i believe that but i also believe that as a place just to get on the soft stuff and that doesn't mean crazy off-road it can just be in your local park but you need to make sure that the environment's right how you know how big are the loops of the park do you feel safe in the park for example because obviously safety is important in that feeling of safety so just getting out there and exploring mapping it perhaps on either strava or garmin connect or map my run or one of those platforms just before you get out there and then go and explore i think could definitely help so even if you are listening to this and you're not moving house like me to winchester and perhaps you've lived where you are now for years it might be worth just thinking outside the box a little bit the sessions that you do across the week does the environment and do the routes lend themselves nicely to those sessions are there some better routes you could perhaps find some better stretches of road or a park do you need to for certain sessions perhaps get in the car make a little bit more time and just drive to somewhere now we're allowed to travel a little bit more freely to a location that's perhaps better suited to that session so i really think it helps not only the creative side of running but your enjoyment of it and obviously your productivity because the sessions are going to be better if they're run in the right area Sure, I totally get that, but I'm also very, very concerned about how long it's going to take you to find a property uh, and pick a property, because while you're the the property person this week and and Marty's working, uh, I'm concerned, are you going to be looking at properties? You're going to be looking at running routes. What are you going to be doing? Come on, my friend, focus on the property. Focus now. Let's put it this way. This is the only week where I will not be uploading my runs to Strava. (laughs) She'll be stalking me. I'll be getting messages from her. Like, I know you've been running again. You're on the bloody South Downs way again. For the show notes and video content, go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Running with Jake, the podcast. So today's guest is Chris Hollinshead from Stafford. He's a successful senior and master's runner, a running coach, a tutor for UK athletics. And I understand you are part of the Paralympic Athlete Talent Identification Programme. That's a mouthful. Chris, you must be a very busy guy. Yes. Yes, indeed. I like to think so. It is busy. And to be honest, it's nice having a hectic lifestyle. Yeah, so one of the things I do do is with uh, British Athletics, and I've done it now for about, well, it must be about since about 2010, is that the, the, the programme's changed over the years, but generically working with the Paralympic talent athletes, the endurance perspective side of it. Uh, so I've been doing that, as I say, now for, for, for many, many years. And it's always been an interest in mine of Paralympic sport as well. To, to identify talent in itself is a real skill, isn't it? I mean, what sort of thing... How does it work, Chris? What, what sort of things do you, do you look for? This, this process in sort of talent spotting, as it were. It isn't actually so much from our own perspective to actually spot the talent. The, the athletes themselves will have been selected and will come down to the uh, talent camps. And this is almost, almost the, like the third one, the first pass of the uh, of the world-class pathway itself, whereby they come down and then our role over the years has been very much to give them the support required 
so there'll be like a team of experts on site could be for example psychologists sports nutritionists strength conditioning coach and then over the years one of my roles has been to try and work with these athletes and the support team around and try to help them to develop over a number of years so these athletes generically could be for example around four or eight years away from the feminine olympic games though that's not always the case of course i mean you've been coaching over 20 years i understand chris i mean that's a long time to be in the game a lot of experience i know you you know we said so busy with england athletics uka and and kind of uh, you know getting involved in lots of different areas in the world of running do, do you have time for yourself with running what how does your own running look at the moment do you is it something you've shelved do you still get involved in it you still competitive because you have been in your day haven't you in terms of uh, running at a senior level the master's achievements yeah it's an interesting question because clearly in these very uncertain times i mean someone like myself hasn't raced now for almost two years last time i raced properly was probably in turin wow. in, in july 2019 i've actually forgotten what it's like to race and to be honest but I'm not the only one who, has, who now is concerned, has anxiety about racing again. Will I be able to go out and race my distance? Will I know what it feels like to hurt anymore? I'm getting older as well, my pace will have dropped. So I've got to come to terms with all these things, these changes on a personal level, which have happened in the last two years. But I, I bet I'm not the only person in that situation at the moment. I bet there's millions more people. Absolutely. And so regardless of our ability level, regardless of our age at the moment, you know, we're thinking about getting back racing and actually also we not we need to think about well, there's the physiological side to our development to get back to where we were, but also there's that psychological element as well. Are we fully prepared to go back racing and accept how things may or may, may not have changed for us and what do we need to do to develop ourselves to make sure we're ready to race? We're not elite athletes. We don't get access to the training camps, to the races abroad at the moment. And many, many people won't have raced. I was doing a club run earlier this week. And out of all those attending, the average time someone last raced was about 16 months ago. That's a very long time. Wow. And you've got to condition yourself, haven't you? I mean, you talk about yourself and your experience of running and the last one was Turin. And it, it is very difficult, isn't it? And I think when... People here listening to this, an experienced coach like yourself, saying you, you've got to strengthen that muscle, almost the psychological muscle as well, haven't you? Getting back in that uncomfortable situation of of racing when, when we've had such a long period out. Touching on psychology, as you've mentioned there, Chris, do you think it's easier to get back to a certain level than it is to find it in the first place i'm talking psychologically here do you think it's going to be easier for people to get back to the levels that they were at pre kind of uh, covid and lockdown of racing and whatnot do you know it's a nice question and to be honest i don't actually know because everybody's we're looking at this on an individual basis and everybody you know has been impacted in a different case so the answer there is i don't actually know at all come back to me in july or august and i'll be able to answer that question but I, I, know, I, know yeah. one, I know one thing that, you know, there is anxiety there. And even I'm anxious about it because it's such a long time ago. And though we've been training and training very well, you know, it's not the same. And I think there is a temptation in, uh, you know, for runners to over race. And the concern I have at the moment is, is that 
is that runners may come back and suddenly that sweet shop's open and they'll charge in the sweet shop and try and get every single type of sweet off the shelf, take it away and eat it. But the reality is that, you know, it's going to be a long time till September. I don't, I don't want to see runners burnt out by July or August because they've been in that sweet shop and tried every single sweet, getting tired from you know, had enough of sweets anyway. And what you want them to do is to be able to <laughs> peak later in the year. So now is the time, as you said, to start conditioning yourself appropriately uh, to re- a return to race. And let's face it, we've only just come out of a uh, the the lockdown where we couldn't actually get, get any speed work going on the track. I think it's come, what, what, three and a half weeks ago? Saying just finished. So then we're going to need prod button number 10 or 12 weeks, three months in reality, to get us marginally ready to go and race. And that's going to take us till July anyway. So that July to September could be a really busy and exciting period for many runners. And I think if they just take two steps back and think about what it is they're trying to achieve, work back from that, put some selected races in along the way, which we can use as stepping stones to stop and check and see where progress is, they can have a wonderful summer season. Selective racing, stepping stones. I love that. And I love the analogy you used about the sweet shop as well, because I really sense this as well. It's really easy to over-race, isn't it? And I, I don't know about you, Chris, but I, I get it as well. I, I've never really over-raced. I've probably gone too far the other way in some respects. But I do get it because people, they want that social fix as well. They want to use all the, the, the benefits from the training, everything that they've achieved. They want to then realise that in a race. And then if, if they really enjoy the event, they want to add it to next year's calendar. So before they know it, they're almost racing every weekend. So this kind of, I guess, lockdown period has, has given people some forced stress, hasn't it? But what you're saying is it, it could be slightly concerning that people go so far the other way, that lack of experience of being in that race situation. What's your thoughts on how people could use these selective races or or stepping stones, you know, as kind of benchmarking fitness and things like that, because you don't have to go into every event and race it, do you? No, they don't have to. I mean, in essence, what what you runners could do, of course, is this. If they've got one race in mind, and let's pick, for example, London Marathon on the 3rd of October, that is your, I mean, that would be, using an analogy of gold, silver and bronze, that would be your gold race for the year. So at which point then we start working backwards. So perhaps I've got a half marathon about four or five weeks before then, that could be like a silver type race. What do I need to do? Well, I need to see at that stage where I'm actually at. So probably there's things like I could be working on tactical elements of the race. Can I get my pacing strategy actually right, for example? Or am I going for a performance element of it? This is a, you know, uh, or is it just a process? I just want to see where I'm at and then make some amendments later on. And then I can work back from there to probably like a 10K in something like July or August, a couple of 10Ks. And these could be bronze standard races. There isn't a huge focus on them. In fact, I may continue to train right up to the actual date itself. But that will start to tell me with about 10, 11 weeks to go what my pacing is like. Do I need to change my training? Do I need to put more endurance in? Do I need to drop some endurance down? So all the time you can have a specific element for a race itself. And so the reality is, uh, what, you know, I suppose what we're trying to do as coaches here is, is to share good practice and allow runners to be able to develop and feel the races for themselves, but actually know at the same time what's working well and then what needs building upon for the next uh, race or the ultimate goal, which could be the marathon. 
When you're advising runners, of course, at all levels with the work that you do, and I know you're a coach through uh, Castle Coaching Fitness as well, which we'll link in the show notes page, by the way, uh, which is uh, runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. When you're coaching runners and advising them, do you focus on, on heart rate? Do you focus on pace? Do you focus on feel? Or is it a combination of all of them? Or does it depend on the individual? Where, where does your kind of... I suppose interest, passion, and, and philosophy lie with that. Um, that's not, I, I think, to be truthful, it's a very much about it's a, an individual thing. Everybody's an individual, and I think one of the concerns is that sometimes we are tempted because of numbers, perhaps coming down on a club night or something else, to treat everybody as a collective. Well, actually, what we the skill of the game is to start looking at people being individuals. And then from, so from our perspective, I think the key thing for myself, the key message is you've got to learn how to run. You've got to know what... I don't wear a watch when I'm racing. What do I need a watch for? All I've got to do is to try and finish ahead of the person in front. To do that, what you've got to do is, is know what it feels like. You have to know what racing feels like, what certain paces feel like, what it knows to feel like to go up that hill or down the hill or into a headwind. And now you're going to change what you're doing accordingly. I don't need a watch for that. What I need is I need to know what it feels like to race at certain speeds. And your body starts to remember what it feels like. And then you start to put that more into training and in racing. Have you got any thoughts and uh, advice that you would give to strengthen the racing mind? So, you know, to have that kind of toughness, that, that grit and determination when the going gets tough, you know, how do you, how do you hang in there? Is it, is it mantras that you think are a good thing? Is it to just to put yourself in uncomfortable situations in training that develops that toughness? What's your thoughts on that? Ultimately, you don't get any surprises in races. Everything in racing is a result of the training. So if you practice and practice and practice in training, you eventually start to cover all the eventualities. And I think that is the key to it. I do remember before the British Masters, I think it was the 10-mile race over in uh, Rill about three or four years ago. Freezing cold day. I mean, it was that cold. I just remember the left side of my face. I just couldn't even feel it as we headed off from Rill towards <laughs> Prestatin. But the week beforehand, we'd taken some of the runners over to Southport, which is, again, is a northwest, and it's a journey to get there. But we put them into a headwind because you knew Rill was going to have a headwind in February. And I think that answers the question that if you prepare for the eventualities of what you're actually going to uh, undertake, and then suddenly you start, the, the, the mind is the mind's getting prepared your body is physiologically getting prepared at the same time and I think sometimes it's very easy for us to be able to go away choose a race because it looks very nice it could be hot it could be cold it could be hilly it could be flat when sometimes we could also take two steps back first of all to look at it and say well is it appropriate for where we're at in this time this stage of our training and secondly of course what do I need to do to prepare myself for that race the last time I raced in Turin it was 31 degrees Celsius on the track that was the air temperature I mean there's no way could you train for anything like that in the West Midlands when it's about 14 degrees and raining in the middle of the summer you can't you can't prepare yourself not unless I'd got bags of money went abroad for five or six weeks can't do that 
That re- and so you get there and you're thinking, well, hang on a second, how? We, what are we going to do in the race environment now to preserve the energy I've got for that particular race? It's one repetition max. It's uh, 12 and a half laps, no qualifications. This is it. Bearing in mind that a lot of other people there will also be from Western Europe, where the climatic conditions are very similar to ours. <laughs> And so, with a bit of luck, you think so other people may also be suffering the same way, but they're not going to tell you this. So it becomes very much a game of cat and mouse. And psychologically, we are thinking about how we're going to undertake that race. Clearly, the speed has to be reduced accordingly, because I can't generate that kind of speed and power for uh, to twelve and a half laps in thirty-one degrees. In fact, even in the summer when it was 30 degrees here, last summer I just stayed inside in the, day, in, in the daytime. So you've then got to think about well, what are you going to do and how are you going to do it differently. In all fairness, a lot of that revolves around training. So when it had been hot in the UK, you'd try and undertake some sessions, for example, in that environment to prepare the body. Yeah, and I guess it's managing expectations as well, right, Chris? There's only so much you can control. I mean, as you say, all the work's done in training. You know, you, you prepare yourself as well as you can. If you manage your expectations, go into it, then you're not setting yourself up for disappointment. Do, do you think people get that wrong? Do you think managing expectations is important? I think it's very easy to get carried away on a crest of a wave. I think some of the things is that as runners, what 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 we experience is we've had one good race. So I tell you what, I want another good race in two weeks' time. I want another one in three weeks, another one in four weeks. But the reality is, the, the human system can't keep doing this because it can't keep producing these these elements of pure magic out of a box every single week. We could probably hold a form for around about five or six weeks. After that, then we need to relax down again chill down, go back into uh, a training period again because otherwise we're just going to be tired and, and I think that again goes back to the idea that if we sequence the races, for example gold, silver, bronze, it gives us a realistic expectation of what it is we're actually trying to achieve at the same time. I mean as an athlete, if I race about seven times a year, I'm lucky I haven't done more than seven or eight races for many 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 years I haven't and I don't I don't need to I don't need to I love racing and I love the competition and you know what if it doesn't go well it doesn't go well that's that's the reality of the situation but I don't go home and think and think it's the end of the world probably because I'm getting older and I, you know we understand the fact that things are changing uh, in our bodies but actually at the end of the day it isn't about that but I love the competition element. I love being on the start line. I love the nervousness. And I love the challenge of tactical-based running, which is what it is. And that's what, that's what we're doing. If we keep ch- chasing times every single week, there's only one way it'll go for many, many runners. And that eventually is it'll become stale because you can't keep chasing times. So you've got to have different reasons for going out and racing. And that's where it goes back. That's a great point. That goes back again to knowing what it feels like when you actually are running and thinking, well, today is about perhaps I want to run the second half quicker, the first half quicker. I do remember one race I was doing at, uh, it's about three years ago now, or four years ago in Norfolk, it was a 10 mile end of September. And this 10 miler is, is, you know, Norfolk's a wonderful county to race. I've had so many great races over the years. And in this, this one race, 
actually I noticed in the, as I warmed up for a couple of miles it's a 10 miler had a slight downhill gradient and then I noticed there was a headwind blowing my way going out and I thought well <laughs> look at the end of the day I'm about 20 years older than anybody else here but there is an opportunity <laughs> today to play it have a play and see what happens differently so what happens if I go off quicker done it in training so many times I'm going to tire by three miles I'm aware of that but then I've got to settle into a rhythm so you know I've actually gone against the wind I've put some speed in there against the wind deliberately I know what the, the plan here is if I get a big enough break at the end of that section the road's no longer straight it starts going around crunchy lens and bends I also know that once I start to go around a bend the chances are if they can't see me people may get disarmed while they can see you on a straight it's fine this becomes tactics and it worked because once That's I got impressive, though, though I was it? tired it didn't make any difference because I will keep going but once they lose track with you in contact even though they got the wind coming back because they couldn't always see you because you got tight bends they don't know how far away you are and it actually worked and I won the race and I was delighted by it I thought tactically I got it really well and I think there's so many things we could go the following year didn't go quite so well in all fairness I've got to be truthful because you know there was a sign saying as you go around to about six seven miles there's a sign saying uh, warning ducks crossing and believe it or not these ducks actually started crossing the road in front of me so I had to stop as I would even now I'm not going to go through the ducks I had to let them cross and then continue I was third that year so that's that, that's my excuse I will use the ducks actually but it wasn't really I just wasn't in the same kind of shape I reckon the ducks were robotic ducks and they were planted by the runners that you beat in the previous year that's, that was their game it plan was that was it, their game plan you know, it's like, but it's a story to tell as well I mean I can see you coming alive when you're talking about those couple of races you had in Norfolk and I completely understand why because whether they go well or they don't go so well it is a story to tell it's a memory and I always say no race is a waste of time because you learn from it you've gained something from it either knowledge or your fitness or experience or whatever everybody's got a flipping story haven't they, they are, <laughs> about uh, their experience and i think from a, a, a runner's perspective you know hopefully what i spoke about so far today will flick on a light bulb and realize that there's more to training than just going out there and running and looking at a watch you know these are wonderful training aids but there's a lot more we could be doing in training and that is preparing the runner for the racing environment and the racing environment they're li likely to actually have on, on race day and that's the key thing you know you know when you do london marathon traditionally in april it could actually be hot we knew that because i've been there so many years and done it you knew it could be hot i'm going to worry about it being wet because very rarely rain, rains when i've done it over the years <laughs> I think it's about twice but you know it could be hot and so you've got to try and prepare the athlete accordingly and I think now is the time to put even more focus on the training, uh, especially with the situation. Not that many races about at the moment. As you say, Chris, we kind of don't know what's happening. I'm saying to a lot of my runners, look, we're, we're working towards autumn races, marathons, myself included, but let's not kind of pin all our hopes and dreams and prayers on that event going ahead because if it's not that event, there'll be another one around the corner and training is never a waste of time. You get fitter, stronger, leaner, live healthier. It's what it's all about. Chris, it's been absolutely awesome chatting to you. I had loads 
loads of stuff I wanted to talk to you about. I just didn't get a chance because we're getting into so much great stuff here. You've got to come back on the show. Simple as that. I know you're a busy man, but we're going to have to make time. If people want to catch up with you and uh, find out a bit more about what you're up to with your coaching, it's Castle Coaching Fitness. We will link that, as I mentioned earlier, in the show notes page, which is runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Chris, I have a big question to ask you, the most important question of this chat. I almost forgot... I got that into chatting to you about running. We ask every single one of our guests this question. This is your weekly dose of running motivation. What does the word motivation mean to you? Motivation. It's interesting that, isn't it? Because motivation itself doesn't actually mean a lot to me because I'm not necessarily motivated to go out and run when it's minus 10. It was minus 11 that one day I went out. I wasn't motivated. What it is instead is it's commitment. Commitment instead is the thing. Commitment to go out and train. Commitment to uh, train for that, perhaps that marathon in March or April. You know, and that's the thing. Guess what's what I need is commitment for myself. So motivation, no, I'm not always motivated to go, but I'm committed to go because I'm looking for an end result. That's why I see it. Chris, I love your answer. And what's more, we now have to rebrand the show, Pete. This is your weekly dose of running commitment. <laughs> that's it, you say. It's about commitment, isn't it? Yeah. Running with Jake, the podcast, your weekly dose of running motivation, out every Wednesday. Never miss an episode by subscribing now. This might shock you, Pete, but I'll tell you what I did for the first time when I was driving back from Winchester last week. What did you do for the, fir- for the first time? Well, I listened to our show in the car. Have you never done that? Well, I normally listen to our show. You send it me before it's, it's once you've finished producing it, and we, we, I proof-listen to it, give it the OK, uh, and then obviously we, we, we roll it out on a, on a Wednesday every week. Uh, but I've never listened to it in the car, and I'm not really doing that much driving at the moment, lockdown, working from home, all that stuff. But obviously, from the with the commute, the drive from Winchester, I thought, oh, I'm just going to... I need a weekly dose of running motivation. <laughs> hmm, what could, where could I get that from? <laughs> on this awful day, in this awful weather, on this long drive. So I thought, I'm, I'm just going to listen to the podcast. And of course, I wanted to test out whether, whether Siri would, would work, because I don't know if Siri connects to the car or not. I've not really set it up properly, but I just said, hey, Siri, play Running With Jake, the podcast. Okay, running with a jig, the podcast. Podcast coming up. <laughs> we are such children. We were teenagers, we'd laugh about There that. you go, you see, it worked. So wow. Cool. And you've got Indian Siri there. Yeah, I've got Siri in uh, Indian. I just got bored. I was messing around with a phone. I think I was waiting for Martina one day. I was oh, just messing about. And that played with the settings. I thought, I'm Indian, that's cool. And I quite like the voice. It freaks Martina out because obviously it's not the English Siri, which, well, I say English Siri. She's got her Siri set to Italian. But she's a little bit ignorant, right. Siri, not Martina, by the way, because right. Martina's always complaining that Siri's not listening to her, but it's not that she's not listening to Martina, it's that <laughs> Martina suddenly talks in this really weird voice. You know, like your grandma used to have like a telephone voice when she picked up the yes. phone to yes. various people. It, it's a bit like that, but only more weird. So, of course, Siri doesn't understand her at all, so therefore they don't have a great relationship. Anyway, my Siri set to Indian. I love it. Works really well. I've got a mate who's got his um, his Siri set to Indian as well. And, and just because it, it sounds cool, it's a cool-sounding accent, and it's I think it's more credible than the, than the English options on Siri as well. Hey, Siri, what's the time in Saudi Arabia right now? It's 12.24 in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. There you go. I believe him. He's got that voice where I think, that's the time. Yeah, I'm not going to dispute that. Yeah, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, Martina gets well annoyed because obviously I have a really good relationship with my Indian Siri and sometimes I just really wind her up in an evening when she's trying to watch Poldark and I'm just like, hey Siri, what is your favourite animal? Software doesn't usually get to choose one. 
But I see parrots. What's yours? <laughs> uh, beavers. Quite like beavers. <laughs> I don't see like beavers in your contacts. Anyway, look, he's obviously... He's just tired. But the point okay. is, we have a good relationship. Martina hates him. It's a weird household. I'm sorry. <laughs> One thing I want to ask Siri to do is answer your questions in hashtag AskJake. Libby sent us in an email and she would like to know how much protein she needs to consume as a runner per day. Now, this can cause quite a lot of confusion. The whole world of nutrition is a minefield. But from my understanding, a good place to start, Libby, is... 1.5 grams of protein per kilo of body weight. So if you weigh 60 kilograms, for example, times that by 1.5, you would be looking at 90 grams of protein per day. Now, for some people, that might be a little bit more. For some people, that might be a little bit less. But it is important generally to consume protein and a reasonable amount of protein with every meal. A lot of nutritionists and dietitians do advise that that's, that's what we do. And remember, the protein are the building blocks of our muscles. So they help muscle repair. They help recovery. So it is a fundamental macronutrient that we need to consume. And I think it's great to hear that you're really starting to think about how much protein you are consuming and what changes you can make for a healthy diet. I hope that helps, Libby. Remember, if you've got a question, then it's hashtag ask Jake or drop us an email like Libby did at podcast at runningwithjake.com. That brings us to the end of episode 74 of your weekly dose of running motivation. It is indeed the Running With Jake podcast. A massive thank you to today's guest, Chris Hollingshead. Uh, I hope you have enjoyed today's show. Have a great week of running. And myself, Pete the producer, and my Indian Siri, we'll see you back here for more running madness. Oh, and one more thing. If there is no struggle, then there is no progress. Hmm, I don't have an answer for that. Is there something else I can help with? <laughs>